Saturday, Ron says, Hunter, we had another air conditioner lifted. We had this one lifted uh, two weeks ago. <clears throat> so I told four people. The reaction from the first person was, think of that person's family. Think of that person. They're probably on drugs. They probably need that money. What a pitiful way to live. What an awful way to conduct your life. I feel so bad for them. Reaction of the second person. What is society coming to when somebody will steal from a church? Our whole civilization is going down the tubes. Reaction of the third person. How would they do that? Those things are heavy. I mean, can you lift those things? They must have a huge truck. Reaction of the fourth person. How much is one of those things? How, how much does that cost? I mean, how, who's going to pay for that? What, how are we going to manage that? Now, if I were to say, for example, to the fourth person, you're worried about money? Don't you realize our whole civilization going down the tubes when people get so low they steal from God? What would that fourth, fourth person go? <laughs> What if I said to the first person, yeah, what you could think of it in terms of a poor, I mean, that poor, you know, family and all that kind of stuff, but, but for crying out loud, can't you see any bigger picture than that? Or to say to the person who said, how in the world would they get one of those suckers on a truck? To say to them, don't you have any empathy for the family and what they must be going through? They're probably, it's all drug related. What would happen to those people? More yet, what would happen to me if I actually thought like that? These people are so off base, they don't even know how to think of something like this. I want to talk today from 1 Corinthians 12. Later on, as you know, we're going through a short mini-series on the church. And later on, I will speak to you about individual giftedness. But there is even a more important issue from 1 Corinthians 12. And this is one of the few times when I will ever speak generally about an entire chapter. There is a basic issue brought out in this chapter when it talks about our giftedness. When it talks about our giftedness and about how we are wired. And the more basic issue is this. Can we accept how we're wired as a gift from God? Can we accept how other people are wired as a gift from God? You see, none of those responses were wrong. All of them just indicate a different thinking process. And the third thing is, can we accept that God has brought all of us together into one church and hasn't made a mistake about it? First things first. It is very important for we as Christians to differentiate the theology of evolution from the theology of creation. Now, I'm not talking biology here. I am not talking, well, I'm talking theology. The theology of evolution is basically this, that you are a product of chance mutations down through the years. And therefore, because you are a product of chance mutations, you have no meaning in yourself.
you must wrest your meaning and purpose from this world. And therefore, you are, for the rest of your life, to get people to tell you that you are important, to get the people to tell you that you are worth something, to get people to tell you that you have a purpose in this world. That is at the opposite end of the spectrum from the theology of creation. In Psalm 139, and most of you know this by heart, but you don't yet know it in your heart. That's, those are two different things, by the way. You have not yet grasped this because of the common sense of self-deprecation that I see week after week among the family of God. If you will turn, if you have your scriptures, to verse 13, and then verse 15 and verse 16, just listen to this. It's David speaking to God on behalf of all of us. For thou didst form me, thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. Weave is a, is a word for something particular, intentional. Um, and it says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance. Now listen to this. And in thy book, they all were written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. you understand what that's saying? Do you understand that God has a particular purpose? There is no such thing in God's eyes as a mass of cells. There is always a creation for a purpose in his world. And therefore, your purpose can never be bestowed upon you or taken away from you by any other person. It is from you from the very beginning. Now, what does that say about our acceptance of the way we are wired? God wired you like you are so that you could fulfill the purpose that he has ordained for you in the book of life. You are no accident. You do not think like you do because you have you are a product of mutation. God had a particular purpose in mind when he made you, and therefore, when you see the difference between you and another person, please, please do not think that you are the lesser of the two. That's what I see week after week. If I'm different from someone else, I must be the one out of it. Never, never thinking that both of us can have a place and both of us can need each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, well, because I'm not a, an eye, I'm of no use to the body. Or shall the foot say, because I'm not a hand, I, I just have no place. That's the attitude many Christians have about the way they are wired, about the way that they think. There is a, a book uh, by Dr. Carl Menninger, a uh, famous Christian psychologist, called Man Against Himself. And in that book, he examines suicide. But he doesn't just examine the radical, final, physical suicide. He examines the way we commit what he calls chronic suicide. And he puts in that category our different addictions and our different antisocial behaviors and, and our different uh, attempts at uh, 
at martyrdom and asceticism and things like that. The way we eliminate ourselves. I'm saying that to discover your gift, you have to first accept yourself the way that you were made. You must first be able to say, God intended me to be like this, even with the obvious shortcomings I have. Now, I want to show you something. In verse, uh, or, I'm sorry, chapter 4 of Exodus, uh, the Lord is having his famous uh, uh, dialogue with uh, Moses. And he's going to Moses, and Moses has this cush job, you know. Would you pump that down just a little bit more? I'm getting a lot of feedback here. Moses has this cush job of a shepherd, and the Lord goes to him and says, I want you to save all my people. I want you to go in to, and face Pharaoh, okay? And Moses, of course, does not say, okay. Well, the first thing that goes through Moses' mind is that there are a lot, there are a lot of people a lot more qualified than I am, Lord. A lot, lot more qualified. And he starts reading the riot act like, who am I? And God says, well, I'll be with you. Well, who will I say sent me? You know, all of these are things I'm sure you haven't thought of, God. You know? And God just goes on down the list and says, oh, sure, I have. And finally, out of desperation, he gets to verse 10. And he starts to tell the Lord about his shortcomings that he's sure the Lord hasn't noticed. And it says, then Moses says to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in past time, in case you haven't been looking, okay? Um, Nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. I'm stuttering even now, you know? I have whatever that speech impediment was, whether it was a stutter, whether it was a lisp, he noticed it wasn't going away, even when God was talking, and he was talking back to God. Now look at the next phrase. I want you to see this, and I want you to see it clearly. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Now watch this. Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now here's what I want you to notice. Three out of the four of the qualities that God has just listed are negative impediments to normal operation. They are natural failures. And God is choosing Moses, knowing that a part of Moses' makeup was a natural failure. The very thing by which we usually take ourselves and drag ourselves through the mud, why can't I think like that? God is saying, I put it there. Put it there for a reason. Who made you like you are? I made you like you are. See? So therefore, that by which you would condemn yourself, you are questioning the handiwork of God. You are saying, God, you must have made a mistake on this one. And God's saying, I didn't make a mistake. I made you to think just exactly like you think. Now, there can be some stewardship that goes along with this, and there certainly can be improvement. But don't think that you don't have everything basic to the fulfillment of your purpose in this life just like you are right now. There is nothing else you need besides a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to fulfill the reason why you were put here. No big change. Some improvement maybe. 
Some fine-tuning maybe, but no big change. God made you like you are. Therefore, I would plead with you, quit trying to eliminate yourself from an important place in God's plan. Please. And quit indulging in such self-deprecation and self-condemnation. I call it chronic suicide. Or low-grade suicide. No, he called it chronic suicide. I call it low-grade suicide. It's kind of like a low-grade fever, you know? I mean, it's not ever important enough to say, boy, I'm sick and I need help with this, but it just kind of drains you. And when I see people hate the way they are, oh, I wish I were somebody different. I wish I thought different. I wish I were wired differently. It's a low-grade suicide trying to take yourself out of the picture when really you are a perfect work of God. And I don't care what your impediments are. Do you think that a child who is born mongoloid has no purpose in this world? You ask that that child's parents what he's done for their lives, what purpose he has served in their lives. There is no impediment that does not work to the purposes of God. No impediment. So therefore, let me just... I I heard this piece of advice, and I love this piece of advice, and let me just pass it on to you. This, This is something I remind myself of very often. When you regret what you've done, When you know you've made a big mistake, here's the piece of advice. Never hang yourself when a simple apology will do. Never hang yourself when a simple apology will do. Say you're sorry. Go on with your life. Don't try to eliminate yourself from from the purposes of God. Remember, God did not make a mistake when he made you like you are. Secondly, God did not make a mistake when he made others like they are. He really didn't. I mean, this may be even a tougher one for us, right? We have in churches what I call a T-cell mentality. You know what a T-cell is? T-cells are those things in your body that search out anything that's different and kill it. Now, T-cells are valuable for our natural immune system because those invading viruses or those invading bacteria are surrounded by T-cells and eliminated. And so, therefore, there must be some discernment in order to have a healthy body. But what happens to many of us is that we get so irritated with the differences and we want to eliminate the differences, and when we get overactive in the T-cell mentality, we shoot everything that's different than we are when it was put there for our purpose. You know what happens to a human body when you have too many T-cells or too active T-cells? You get diseases like diabetes and arthritis and, and, and uh, even leukemia. The body begins to kill itself. Finally, it kills so, everything so, that's so different. It doesn't have anything else to kill, so it turns in on the body itself and kills the body itself. That is what has happened to so many churches around this country. It is absolutely pitiful. They kill everything different, and then they circle up and it's us three, no more. Us four, no more. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just. Let's just be comfortable like we are. Oh, they don't belong. They don't fit. The T cell mentality is the father of every prejudice. It's the father of racism. It's the father of sexism, and it is the father of absolutely bigoted Christianity. You ask anybody in Christianity who was once aflame. 
for the Lord who has now dropped out of the process where they got hurt. And I bet you 13 to 1. That's an old Methodist talk, and that's how we talk. 13 to 1. That it wasn't enemy fire, it was friendly fire that downed them. That is the church's big problem. And not only that, do we think God must have made a mistake when they made people to think like that. But by eliminating those people, we ourselves go through two kinds of deprivation. Number one, we put ourselves in terrible stress trying to change everybody else to be like we are. Terrible stress. Um, the uh, head of the uh, Veterans Administration, Dr. David Fink is his name, did a study of 10,000 people who came in with st- extreme stress. They were drained. They were hypertensive. Uh, they were under tremendous stress. And he said there's got to be some common factor that we can find in these cases because I have other people who come in. Part of that 10,000, a good portion of that 10,000, just have physical ailments, but really don't have a lot of stress. They don't show a lot of signs of stress. They're just dealing with their physical ailments that are not exacerbated by their emotional state. What is a common element that I can find? And after thousands and thousands of questions, after a lengthy investigation, the common element that heightened the stress of all of these patients' lives was the fact that they were all critical people. And the more critical they were of others, the more their stress level rose. So that's one way we deprive ourselves of peace and one way we kill the body. When we think God made a mistake when he made so-and-so like they are, to think like they do, to react like they do, We ourselves lose our peace by questioning God and by thinking it's our responsibility to change them to be like we are. The second way we deprive ourselves is that we don't realize that we need differences to grow. The the third thing I I want to tell you before I go into this point is that Not only did God not make a mistake when he wired you like he did, and not only did he not make a mistake when he wired others like he did, but he didn't make a mistake when he called us all together. Different. Different. There is an enormous pressure from society to conform. Enormous pressure in the church to conform. But I say to you, that you don't learn anything from somebody who agrees with you all the time. And if the mission of this church is to mature in Christ, we will have no maturity without disagreement. You understand that? Or without at least the disagreement that is implied by variety. The world would say to us that uniformity and unity are the same thing. But in truth, they are opposites. Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Unity is the gathering of differences, the gathering of variety into a harmony because we all have the same mind. Remember Paul said, 
make my joy complete being of the same mind. That's not uniformity. That's unity. Those are two different goals. Now, I know that many of us, um, especially if you're new here, you may be uncomfortable by not recognizing some of your own traditions. The traditions with which we grew up and the traditions with which we assumed that anybody who had this common certain element in their lives would do it like this because that's the way we've always seen it done. Becky meets uh, every uh, week or has been meeting every week with a, with a group of public school teachers to pray. They're all Christians and they pray. They get together and pray for the kids, pray uh, for themselves, uh, pray, pray for survival. And uh, the first meeting she went to, um, this, this gal was sitting by her and she said, I don't know why there are so many denominations in this nation. It drives me crazy. And Becky was thinking, you know, well, she's going, you know, for ultimate unity of all Christians and that the church may be one, John 17, so on and so forth. And Becky said, yeah. And then she completed her sentence. Why can't everybody be a Baptist? And Becky went, oh, well, that's a different direction than I thought you were going, you know. But she couldn't understand why everybody couldn't be a Baptist. You know, it takes special wiring to be a Baptist and enjoy it. It does. It takes special wiring. It does. Um, um, I, I, by the way, I got, I, you know, this is another thing. I got a, a note this week, and I get these every once in a while. Why don't you ever have altar calls so that people can be saved? Well, altar calls are a wonderful thing, and you know, from time to time we do. We have altar calls. But I know that was from a Baptist. Because that is the one thing they associate with salvation. Now listen, in order to hear the fullness of what God has for us, you have to get yourself out of that uniformity of thought in linking salvation with an altar call. I didn't have, I didn't have an altar call last week. But as usual, I gave people an opportunity during the prayer to accept Jesus Christ. Several people were saved here last week. No altar call, just an opportunity, and the Holy Spirit was ready, and they heard it. She didn't hear that. She didn't hear that altar. Or she didn't hear that invitation because she had linked the invitation simply with an altar call. There are people who link praise only when you've got your hands up, and to say, "Well, that we you haven't learned to praise yet." See. It's not a posture of the body, it's a posture of the heart. See, that's what unity is. And so therefore, for us all, we need, I'm running out of time and I know I am, but we need to appreciate the differences because number one, if you're going to be mature, you've got to be stretched. If you're going to be stretched, you've got to have differences. And if you're going to have differences, you've got to depend on a source that is higher than you are on a picture that is bigger than you have. One of the things that is fascinating me right now is that the transition in colleges in the last 15 years has been phenomenal. Some time ago, sometime after I got out of college, or I think it was even happening when I was in college, every um, person went to college in order to be trained for a vocation. Now, there were people who who certainly changed majors five or six times. You know, I mean, that's pretty normal for a kid going to college. Um, but everybody had a vocation in mind, and they took classes in order to be trained for that voc- vocation. More and more nowadays, 
College professors and college counselors are saying what you need to do is come here for a liberal arts foundation so that we can teach you not how to do a certain job, but we can teach you how to think. Those are two different things. Because you see, as fast as our society is changing, by the time you get out of college, this job may not even be a job anymore. But if you know how to think, Anything you want to do, you can do. The church has the same responsibility. Instead of training people to be certain kinds of Christians or to have certain gifts very, very, very specifically and operate very, very, very competently, we need to let people know how to think because you're going to face many different things in this world. And in order to be able to speak Christ into different situations. You see, the measure of a church is not how many people we can get to think like we think, but how many differences we can turn toward the Lord. That's the measure of a church. That's where we're going. So accept yourself like you are, will you? It's a gift of God. Accept others like they are, will you? It's a gift of God. And accept the differences here as a gift of God, not for your comfort, but for your growth. Will you pray with me?